This episode of the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast is brought to you by Sony's latest animated hit, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, an animated action comedy about an ordinary family who find themselves in the middle of their biggest family challenge yet, saving the world from the robot apocalypse. No big deal, right? It all starts when creative outsider Katie Mitchell's accepted into the film school of her dreams and is eager to leave home and find her people when her nature-loving dad insists on having the whole family drive her to school and bond during one last, totally not awkward or forced road trip. But just when the trip can't get any worse... The family suddenly finds itself in the middle of the robot uprising. Everything from smartphones to Roombas to evil Furbies are employed to capture every human on the planet. Now it's up to the Mitchells, including upbeat mom Linda, quirky little brother Aaron, their squishy pig Monchi, and two friendly but simple-minded robots to save humanity. Watch The Mitchells vs. The Machines, only on Netflix. You're a Welcome to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Nobody. By which I mean the movie, not nobody. Not that this podcast is for nobody. This podcast is for everybody who has seen nobody. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with the tagline writer, Kelly Wand, who's now going to give us a tagline for nobody. What if Saul was Ermintrout? Oh, I like that one, Kelly Wan. Really? Uh, I do. I do. I feel like that one was for me. I was actually suspicious you wouldn't even – you'll go, who? Oh, my God. Why would I go who? I don't know. You always disappoint me. <laughs> I've watched all of Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. I'm a big Vince Gilligan uh, apologist slash fan. I totally know. And plus, It's Ermintrout your Star is, Wars. It's my Star Wars, yeah. Uh, and plus, Ermintrout is such a weird name. Yeah, it is. It's hard like, to there's, forget. Everybody, if you say Ermintrout, everybody knows you're talking Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, or they have no idea what you're on about. Yeah. yeah. Um, then it makes me think, it makes me want to see a movie where uh, Jonathan Banks is uh, like a Saul kind of character. No, yeah, that's yeah, dumb I, idea. I mean, I love what he's doing in Better Call Saul, but I've seen him in a few movies, and he did the voice of Commissioner Gordon in a Batman game. I, I just, I just I, meant for a yin-yang reasons, not because okay. he is as good. Right. right. I, I mean, I, I like Jonathan Banks a lot, but uh, I, I think not that he, much. I think to really appreciate him, just stick with Breaking Bad and, and Better Call Saul. And uh, Identity Theft, Thiefed, Theftons. He's in that. Yeah, he's in a jail scene where he's on wow. a phone. Yeah. Going, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how. That's how much that. Uh, how much I remembered that role of, of his. He's in a bunch of movies where he does that. He's on a yeah. phone in jail, screaming at somebody. Kelly Wand, are there other taglines for nobody? It's not like we'll be overly reminded of Keanu on a bus. (laughs) Right? Uh, Is there an additional tagline that might work for people who haven't seen Speed? Right, which could be a lot of people. It's been a while, right? It's true. And they might – maybe some people only saw Speed 2, Cruise Control. Right, because they'd heard good things. (laughs) They'd like boats, right. Exactly. Yep. If you're a Jason uh, Patrick um, fan, Speed 2 Cruise Control is a must. Though. Tom, it's it's when Rush Hour hit the water. Was that a real tagline for it? Yeah. Nice. I like that. 
can't forget it. Oh, well, the, uh, the final tagline is uh, yes. for nobody and also for Speed 2. <clears throat> I wish all the dialogue had been redacted. Oh, spoiler. Uh, Tell me one, there will be a round of good writing, bad writing in this podcast. Good luck with that. Thank you. <laughs> Well, Kelly Wand, I'm sure um, you'll contort something in some ridiculous fashion to prove that a disco is an RV <laughs> or some shit. Well, we'll see. I'll have egg on my face. We'll but see. But that's the fun. An egg Kelly Wand, covered Kelly. nobody uh, is at A- minus on CinemaScore. They're Rotten, not? Pardon? <laughs> they aren't? It, Sorry, I was doing a little callback. All right, back to to your fact-based... Well, here's another fact for you. On Rotten Tomatoes, 82% of the reviews for Nobody are positive. On Metacritic, the average rating from reviews is 63. (laughs) That's a 20% differential. Well, they're they're measuring different things. Right. uh, Yeah, but there there is a a 20% difference. beads on the abacus. Now, Kelly, one, I might need your help with this. I'm going to try to pronounce the name of the director of Nobody. Nobody was directed by Ilya Neshuler. Does that sound right? Neshuler. Totally, yeah. No, yeah, that sounds okay, good. super right. And it was written by a John Wick writer, Derek Kolstad. Uh, that guy fucking won the lottery. Nobody stars Bob Odenkirk, Connie Nielsen, and a Russian villain. <laughs> Kelly won. Wait, I, I got to rate it. Oh, yeah, so, well, Kelly, uh, I was going to tell you, Kelly Wand, uh, and I'm just now looking at this, nobody is rated R for strong violence and bloody images, language throughout, and brief drug use. Huh. Remember that? That brief drug Wait, use? Wait, it's an R for brief drug use? So if well, you just it's, kept doing drug use for the whole movie? That then the, it's... Kelly wanted an R rating. Uh, parents need to know the specifics. How long the drug use yeah. lasts. Some parents might be uh, more willing to subject their children to images of brief drug use, but yeah. not willing to subject their children to images of prolonged drug use. So now they have the information to help them decide whether or not to let their children watch Nobody. You see. Hmm. Kelly Wand, is there anything that you think parents should know if their kids are like – Mom, Dad, can we watch Nobody tonight? What should well, they know? Yeah. I do have a film degree mm. from a very esteemed university, Long Beach State University. <laughs> so, so parents should be aware you know. I speak not as a parent but as a scholar, ah. which is the same thing. I'm a parent of knowledge. Knowledge is my child. I take it to the movies. I sneak it in. I buy it beer. Um, so in honor of my child, uh, I would rate uh, Nobody G for graphic homage, some graphic montage, and a tracking shot of people dancing. Woo! Is that the nightclub scene? Oh, Is yeah, that one too. Right. I saw many of the fight scenes as a dance in their choreography. Ah, well, that is true. Fighting is a kind of a dance, isn't it? It can be. Yeah. Well, Kelly Wand, I need from you they dance to remind like to remind me everything that happened in Nobody. Oh. I need you to deliver to me and the podcast listeners a nobopsis. Okay, so I have some bad news and good news. Um, so I've decided to retire the opsis because I think it's stale. I know you disagree. Thank you for that. But I think it's just recycling at this point. Plus, my gosling voice is really racist. 
Um, but by chance, and this is a major historical event, and I, it's, I was emailed this document last month, and I totally forgot about it until now um, because it just didn't seem like that major historical event. But it was um, an email from the prince, Prince Philip, the guy who died uh, in the royal family, right. his husband. And he he mail, emailed me a nobody opsis before he died. I did not know that he wrote such things. He uh, did his first thing, I think. Wow. So okay. So I didn't know he was a listener. That to me blew my mind. That's really but, cool of him, though. But his first and last opsis before he died. So, um, in honor of Prince Philip, would you read this out loud for us? Yeah, I think it's. It's my. It would be my honor and my privilege to represent my nation accepting this document from the United Kingdom. Well, this is definitely historic, Kelly Wan. So uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we are here for this. And uh, yeah, give I, it to us. What did Prince Philip I probably have to say? should have mentioned it to the mainstream media instead of just doing it, reading it to you right now. But I feel like the listeners have a special bond with Prince Philip, and I didn't want to get in the way. Sure, don't we all? Right, of course, yeah. So uh, give it to us. What did Prince Philip feel about the events of Nobody? All right. I can't do a British accent because I can't do accents, so, you know, give we, me a little slack. We are Americans. We don't have that, like, Australian gene that lets right. us do accents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's I'm like a translator. Sure, in sure. English language. <clears throat> Nobud Opsis by Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. I don't see why I wasn't king. What the hoodwinks was up with that? My name is Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, although we pronounce it Borough. The moving picture talkie nobody is about some nobody with a horrid wife and awful children. I related it once. Some nosabouts. <laughs> this sounds like ad copy. Some nosabouts attempt to filch his child servant's feline accessory, but because they do so by striking him multiple times, he lets them. He also often misses the garbage truck, something redacted from his files. By the way, I helped develop the still-developing equestrian event of non-motorized carriage driving. Such fancies may count for little among today's wretched generation with their tooth sweets and bulldogs, but at the time you should have heard those wooden armatures creak and rattle slowly across the countrysides. Tally-ho, as the kids today say, doubtless still. I invented doing donuts in a stagecoach at the Treaty of Trentham Woodshire. Back then, people called it doing the Philip, although once the Tories found some compromising photos of me from 1904, caught in just my pantaloons and overcloak, I was canceled. Anyway, the nobody works at some sort of boot-blacking factory. He apparently thought that this job and his family would be more fun than murdering hooligans. But bobbity-nobbity to that, as granny fate has a way of scream whispering. His father is Reverend Jim from Back in the Future, Part 3, and there is also a black gentleman. Good heavens. <laughs> they store musketry in the off chance that the nobody's daughter will lose a cat bracelet. I was at the Battle of Crete, and one ship I was stationed on was called the HMS Whelp, so I know just how he feels. It's his first time. He's a prince. He, you know. I think he's getting the essence of the movie, though. Yeah. 
Actually, yeah. I, he's reminding me of things I'd forgotten. That's what's weird. The nobody's life takes a turn. He goes to a random young couple's apartment and demands they give him a bracelet, but they don't know what he's talking about, so he goes home. Or would, except that a Russian fellow performed karaoke and has friends who drive poorly. The nobody takes a temporary job as a bus driver while Frank Sinatra plays. His neighbor, I should mention, is such an insufferable jack and apes that he listens to Pat Benatar. Uh, exclamation point, exclamation point. Speaking of, on my 90th date with Queen Elizabeth, I got to second base by convincing her that I knew how to speak English. <laughs> to this day, she still believes me capable of same lols. I also was initiated into Freemasonry on December 5th, 1952, by the Worshipful Master of Navy Lodge Number 2612, much to the chagrin of Lord Mountbatten. See, I think he's better if he just sticks to the film shit. I was born on the island of Corfu, where you, Mr. Wan, once suffered sunburn after failing to recall how marijuana and the sun work. <laughs> Blithery little scamp. Meanwhile, the nobody locks his family in a basement with a highly sophisticated alarm system that they have never before noticed exists in their living room. Then he makes them go off screen and burns all their possessions <laughs> using a phonograph. How Churchill. Meanwhile, his father tricks his male hospice nurses by shotgunning them, <laughs> then smothers one while a hitman knocks on his door and asks if he needs any more stool softener. I know how most of these characters feel but especially the father character, for I savor fox hunting, although I was once criticized for calling Canadian children morbidly obese. By God, my dear sir, we should bomb that miserable country off the face of the earth, and if I survive this month of April, I most assuredly will see that we do. Prithee. I have also spanked it to Megan, although only since she moved out, being not an uncouth savage. But Kate sucks. Is it just me? I just don't get it at all. Have you seen her in a bowler and gators? Ugh. The nobody and his cherry gaffers attack the boot-blacking factory, tricking the Bolshevik knave by using a special type of plastic. Then Reverend Jim and the black friend drive an RV somewhere, while Patrick Wilson and Wonder Woman's great aunt have a perfectly natural laugh with a realtor about basements. I presumed then that her ability to crazy glue wounds signified nothing of interest. I know how the realtor feels. I was once accused of secretly ordering the murder of Lady Diana, but they'll never find anything. Plus, like I do it unsecretly. What a dropsy of tattered abouts. And so the nobody lives happily ever after, although the bearded gentleman I recalled who sat next to me from Mr. Ted's bogus journey claimed that he himself would have been funnier on Mr. Show. Oh, Balderdash, I'm feeling faint. I hope your listeners enjoy this magical window into the British monarchy, exactly a third as much as they do this, my first Sally Ho at Moving Picture Criticism podcastry for middle-aged American video game enthusiasts. <laughs> Never too late to find one's path in life, a eh, what? Fuck you, chick, S-I-F-T-P, <laughs> Prince crossed out, King Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, Keeper of the Sacred Flame, Freemason Cadet, 12th class, cousin to the frenemy of the wood folk, first of his name, or maybe eighth. Uh, you ghoul it like you filched it. Bad. That was it. <laughs> that was a lot of insight into the movie Nobody, and uh, I guess 
the British national consciousness, the British monarchy, Kelly Wan. It's their national epic. I hope this didn't kill him writing this, but if it did, I think it was still an honorable trade on both sides. Well, it's of enormous historical value, too. I'm very glad you got that and that you shared it with the rest of the world. This should be worth at least a half percent on Metacritic, because he's a fucking king of England or something. You would think, and I'm glad that he got to see it, too, but before uh, he passed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad he almost got to hear this read on the air. Right? Yeah, well. So that's that's some fun news. Well, Kelly Wand, now, you personally, (laughs) how did you feel about Nobody, and what is a movie that's better than it? Oh, fuck, I didn't do it. Oh, you didn't? Okay, well, that's fine. Then you know what? I'm going to let you use mine. All right. Uh, here, so I uh, – well, real quick then, just tell me in 25 words or less, what is your opinion of nobody? What would you think of it? I guess my over would be John Wick 1 mm-hmm. and my under would be John Wick 3. Okay. So, so it's like John- not as good as a, as a movie where Halle Berry and some cool dogs are, are shooting up people. Yeah. But – Wait, no, better than a movie with Halle Berry and some dogs, but not as good as the original John Wick. Yeah, but right. although, as I say it, I've seen John Wick 3 way too many times because it just happened to come out during an, a year when I was riding a lot of planes. And so there was nothing to watch. And it kept it was the same airline every time, so it was stuck with the same fucking selection. So I just mm-hmm. all right, John Wick 3, you got fucking 10-hour flight, whatever. So I'd sit through it, and I have to say the talking parts of John Wick 3 are better than the talking parts of Nobody. But I like the fighting in this better okay. than John Wick 3. It's a shitty script. I didn't like the script. I was, uh, But it has some fun parts. Okay. That's my 25 words or less review of Nobody. Well, my over and under, this, this I, I think is firmly in the territory of what if a normal guy was really a super badass assassin slash spy slash action hero uh and it's a genre that i I really enjoy um and i think that this iteration of that particular story is way way better than true lies which i think is one of the worst examples of that (laughs) true lies is so bad on so many levels for so many reasons um Um, wait they're a very convincing couple i know and it's also, too, I think, where you can see James Cameron's true colors burble up. It's after he split up with Gail Ann Hurd. He'd been known for strong female characters from Terminator 1, Terminator 2, from The Abyss, from uh, – I know I'm forgetting one. Oh, Aliens, Tom Arnold's of course. funny, isn't it? Aliens. But He's then good. he does True Lives, and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is basically comedic relief. She's a clown. Um yeah, and then Tom Arnold, and what a waste of Bill Paxton. But she's a sexy clown. She does, like, the striptease. Not even. Iconic. Like, she's yeah. too ridiculous. To, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, the she does she's supposed look, to be She's sexy. way too toned for the, who the character's supposed to be. She's supposed to be a frowsy housewife. Which, again, also, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's supposed to be, like, just a normal house husband. And So I think I think true life yeah, is Yeah, they're both terrible. horribly cast. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I never but thought of... <laughs> One of the best examples of True Lies is just doesn't hold up. I mean, I, I don't know. I remember seeing True Lies in the theater and just having this growing sense of dismay as I was sitting there, and it got worse and worse, and there were so many bad things about it. Uh, and I rewatched it about a year ago, and I, yeah. I think it's horrible. Yeah. I like parts of it, and I. I like – it's super violent for one thing, and I really like – like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis hits Tia Carrera the fucking face with a champagne bottle in a limo at one point. I really like that. There's a nuke that goes off. 
Arnold hit, kills. He destroys a lot of police cars with his uh, Harrier jet. Yeah. He apologizes. That's cute. He's a cutie. Uh, all right, if you're into that sort of thing, but uh, yeah, I it's a think... minor Cameron and Arnold. I uh, okay. I mean, I think it's it's Cameron basically turning Unclosed. the corner after doing good movies, and from after True Lies, you get stuff like you know Avatar. And I guess Titanic. Is Titanic any good? Like, I can't imagine uh, Titanic holds up. I haven't seen that since I was in it. The, the last hour, there's some good shots. Yeah, yeah, like the effects with the ship and stuff, I'm sure. This dialogue's good. terrible. It's yeah. nobody terrible. So, uh, but better than nobody, which I actually didn't really like, but I loved certain things about it, which we'll talk about. Uh, I think the best example of the, hey, what if a normal guy turned out to actually be a super spy? I think the Bourne movies, and specifically Bourne Identity uh, as the sort of origins story for this character uh, is way, way better at doing He's not what... a normal guy, though. He's an amnesiac. No, but he's not a typical action hero. Like, he's, he doesn't know he can do these things. They just sort of burble up. And I think that's part of what's going on with stuff like True Lies and Nobody, is the audience doesn't know that the character can do these things. So there's... You, you're tricked into thinking you're watching a movie about a, just a normal, regular guy... And it turns out he's a badass super spy, and you thrilled to watching him do cool stuff. And that this was the appeal. Is similar to Bourne, like he fights. He doesn't do martial arts like Keanu does. He uses whatever's to hand. Like and that, that was the appeal of of uh, nobody for me. Is I loved Bob Odenkirk in this. I thought yeah. he was awesome, and just, just just all of it, from the physicality to his character, um, to watching him being a badass action hero, which you never – if you told me that they cast Bob Odenkirk in this part, I would have gone, well, I guess you're going to have to put a stuntman in there a lot, and I just really liked how much we got to see him on screen doing really convincing badassery. Yeah. Uh, I thought he sold it really, really well. Um and that that's what ultimately I, I think ultimately I am thumbs up on this, even though like I, I think the script obviously it just feels like a do over of John Wick in so many ways. Uh it's like this is like the guy's it's almost like this is an early iteration of what John Wick was like, like an early yeah. draft. It's like uh, from Dust to Dawn Tarantino. Is that was that an early draft of another movie? Well, that was one of his early scripts. In the oh, oh, right, right. Okay, but, but this one, like, almost beat for beat, just had so much in common with John Wick, though. Yeah. It, it didn't necessarily but, feel like Derek Kolstad dug it up from when he was a kid, which I guess you could say about things like The Abyss uh, and, and Dusk to Dawn. Um, but it did feel like it's something that he'd previously done, and this was a more primitive version of it, I guess. Less refined. Um you know, the, the guy accidentally runs afoul of Russian mobsters. Yeah, Russians. Yeah. So he has to dig up his secret gold cache uh, and just I think if it had been Keanu in the role, I would have felt a little uh, star-crashed. But because it's you mean, what, do you, what do you mean star-crashed? Like you would have I'm liked saying, it more? No, I'm saying I would have gone, wait, this is a, a shadow of John Wick with the same lead right. actor. Right, but right. the whole point is, oh no, it's John Wick with Odenkirk. Right. Um, which, which is the only thing I think that saves it. Like if they'd put yeah, a conventional action hero in here, it would have been totally forgettable. There's no um, mythology like the John Wick mythology. Well, and that exactly is why I think of it as like a rough draft. There's yeah. this implication that 
with stuff like, you know, his half-brother and his father's history, and he keeps in radio communication uh, with his little secret uh, – and he's got the, the secret basement set up to like a panic room, I guess. Um, yeah. So there's this sense that he has a history and that there are some undercurrents of secrecy and secret agencies and whatnot and all this stuff about – like the ob shack. I have no idea where that came from. Yeah. Uh, like and Russians is... are just out of control mobsters that run cities. Right, right, exactly. Like I, it, Which is yeah. a little actually the John Wick mythology. Yeah, yeah. But they, they run it like in the shadows here. Yeah. Here, the, uh, yeah. Like I, what city I, I was this? I would assume it's Chicago if it's. Uh, well, I don't think a, a city is identified. City. Like I could is be right? wrong, but I think it's just supposed to be a generic city. Now, do you, do you know what Ilya Nyshuler's last movie was? Do you know why we know this guy? No. He's the guy who directed, and I think he wrote. I like uh, to find out from you on live. You know what? I'm going to verify whether he wrote it because that's going to be a big important part. Uh, he's the guy who directed and wrote Hardcore Henry. Oh. And what's conspicuously I'm missing? A, I'm a hardcore Henry enthusiast. I am all the more. I don't remember if I liked it as much when we did the podcast for it, but I rewatched it this past week. I love Hardcore Henry is it's great. It is fantastic, and part of what's great about it is Neshuler's direction yeah. and his sense of, of of comedy, a, and how much he appreciates what Charlotte Copley brings to that movie. Yeah, I mean Charlotte Copley makes that movie so much right. so that the movie doesn't even need a, a protagonist. Right. Like you are the protagonist because it's a first-person point of view. The whole movie, without him, uh, would be way worse. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And right. it's also very playful about being set in Russia, which yeah. there's, you know, there's none of that in in um, nobody. Which I don't even think identifies the city. Just has this generic American city, and oh, plus there's Russian mobsters. Um, yeah. Do you remember the villain from Hardcore Henry? Uh, Haley Bennett. <laughs> Easy. Actually, that is a good answer. Yeah, yeah. Because the it's other villain, is, in it. Yeah. the other villain is pretty unremarkable. He's just a weirdo Russian, which again reminds me of nobody. Is what I, the villain they had here? I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to know who that actor is or, but he did nothing for me in nobody. Like I. It's kind of a waste of a role. It didn't even really. No, I liked him. It was an interesting matchup because he's completely the opposite of Odenkirk, and his entrance is super dumb. Like we're not even meant to. He's not even fearsome, really. Like he he hurts that one guy. Well, I think he kills the guy. Yeah, yeah. Like he yeah. kills the guy, but you know, I I I do wonder. But they all look. They all act like he's Trump. Like all right, there he is, fucking guy. I can see that, and I do wonder if. He's supposed to somehow be a foil or a counterpart yeah. to uh, Clint – not Clint Mansell, Hutch Mansell. It's, it's Odenkirk's name and nobody uh, in that he's just like a middle-aged guy who just wants to be a singer and dancer. Right. Uh, like he wants this other identity that's incompatible with right. being a Russian mafioso. Right, right, right. And I feel like that's also supposedly part of what's going on with Hutch Mansell's character. Um, but I don't feel like the script is really aware of that or at least leans into it very much. 
No. Um, and there's other stuff it just doesn't give a shit about. Like the kid – his relationship with his son, nothing. Yeah. And the thing <laughs> is too, wife, like – Is she part of it? Does she know stuff? Oh, she what a waste crazy of Connie Nielsen wound. too. I know. What yeah. the fuck? She could have been – give her a shotgun, please. Right, right, exactly. Like rather than roll That's out poor Christopher Lloyd and bring uh, Riza in I like for the too. very end. I, like I would have rather seen Connie Nielsen in there. Yeah, um, but I still like Christopher Lloyd. He's He's – I mean, he's great, but he just does not look comfortable with a shotgun. <laughs> like, he did not look... Oh, that's what's good about it. No, because he's supposed to be a super badass. He is. Who... He's no, old. No, no. No, he keeps it under his bed. What? No, oh, no, you. I did not buy... Once Chris, especially for that, that warehouse finale, Brown. I did not buy any of that that shootout at the end. That whole warehouse finale was just, I, I thought, just dumb. Was it equalizer? Oh god! See, the equalizer was a good, like the equalizer, like that bit at the end of the one. movie. Everybody I mean, it's kind it of dumb, movie. but it at least it's like a payoff. Like the movie want, leads up to it. Here, all of the cool action sequences and nobody are before the warehouse scene. The warehouse scene is just a bunch of dumb ways to dispatch stuntmen. Um, uh, the plastic bulletproof thing. That's the finale. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a like callback. To, also, I really liked when he's in the bar and he just—it's like. He sees him in the bar, and it was also reminded me of you. Uh, what's it called? Breach, where it's like the characters would have seen each other before the camera. <laughs> like the right, camera right. hands over, and it shows Odenkirk sitting there, and then right. and then the guy on stage sees him. Like he would have seen him fucking ten minutes earlier. Kelly Wand, how would, let's then segue into some good writing, bad writing, because I want to ask you about a, a line in that scene. All right, Are I you really hated play... a lot of the writing in this movie. So. Okay, well, we're going to play good writing, bad writing. I'm going to give you three lines from Nobody. You tell me whether they're good writing or bad writing. We'll see how many out of possible three points you score. You ready for this? Uh-huh. Okay, here we go. First, the disclaimer. Good writing, bad writing is not to be used in any fiduciary financial academic or medical capacity. It's a strictly subjective enterprise based on the perspective of one person with an advanced degree in an unrelated field, but from an accredited institution of higher learning that happens to be Ivy League. Although the findings of good writing, bad writing are negotiable, all decisions are final, official, and binding. Kelly Wan, are you ready for the first line? Now it's that scene. Is Long Beach State Ivy League, by the way? I'm afraid not. You know what? You'd have to check with them. It's not for me to say. I think I got a C. All right. All right. Kelly All right. Wan, so uh, when the villain comes up, uh, let me find where in my notes I wrote this. The villain comes up to him after singing, and Bob Odenkirk is sitting there, and he says, Are you enjoying your meal? And Bob Odenkirk replies, I came for the show. Is that a is that good writing or bad writing? Uh, that's okay. I like it. I give it good writing. Because Kelly Wan, come for the show. You have a point. And the whole thing about coming for the show, too, is it's got a double meaning, is he knows there's going to be like a showdown. There's right. going to be a big, elaborate action scene coming up. And uh, I was expecting a trick from you. And that's what he wants. And even no, it's the, not a real show because there's gunfire. That's what I thought and it, it even establishes when he gets out to the car and he's got his f- fingers crossed, hoping that yeah. the yeah. Russian mafia follows him back to the warehouse. Like he really is, is pining for this. He really wants that show. Um, so, yeah, I liked that. And also, his it, meal is a claymore, so he couldn't have come for the food. No, because he did have a meal. There was definitely a steak on that plate. Um, I forget where the claymore was. <laughs> the claymore was under his napkin. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, okay, so song? Kelly Wand, you have one point, because that was indeed good writing. Huh. Thank you. Although I do wish, especially if they were going to play with this idea that 
that the Russian villain and Bob Odenkirk's character did have some commonality in terms of wanting to live different lives. I wish that there had been more of a conversation between them before the big action set piece. Um, because but, that, was, that was pretty much it. Are you enjoying your meal? It came for the show. And then they go and they have a fight. Yeah. Well, no, he talks about how he blew up his nightclub. Well, he does – right. He does then have to lay out the whole – we should just walk away. You could just walk away from this, right? Which to me is – it's like you've set up the villain as, oh, he'll go off on a uh, – he has like a hair-trigger temper right? In the first so – during his first opening scene when he kills the guy with the bottle. And it's right. like now this other guy is telling – is taunting him, but he still has the tactical acumen to go, oh, yeah, it's a claymore, so I can't do anything. Right. Well, it's also, but it's like a suicide deal too. Like he he knows that it would kill everybody in the room. It would kill him. The the thing that's kind of stupid about that is, like I, I mean, I guess they don't know, but they know he's a family man. Like they know he's got a lot more to lose. That he's probably not going to blow himself up. And there's way more of them. Yeah. I mean, I I don't. Know. And if you shoot him in the head, I don't know. Whatever. But the implication, though, is it's like a dead man switch, that he's got this pin around his finger. But yeah. It's a good no, scene. Right. Yeah. I like that. I like the bus. Well, what about then the final line before he goes in uh, uh, to, to – before he straps the claymore on front of the, the little riot shield and run and charges the bad guy? Uh, he, he yells over to Riza and Christopher Lloyd, uh, everybody dies, some sooner than others. And then he rushes the bad guy with the claymore on the riot shield with the pin in his teeth. Uh, so how is that? Is that good writing or bad writing as his final line before killing the villain? Uh, I think that's pretty bad writing. I don't he's, – he's just killing someone. It would be one thing if there was someone dying sooner than another person. Absolutely. I mean it's a, it's a, it, it – it feels like just a random line plucked from somewhere just dropped there. It has no connection to the scene. There's nothing about like, – It sounds like not, it's supposed to be a callback to something. It does, or it sounds like maybe – Or a foreshadow. Or a – yeah, like a foreshadow that he might die. Like if he were doing something risky yeah. that might kill himself, but we've established that – Instead he's taunting right. the guy who can't hear him say it. And and he I, like he knows that I think friends. he knows that the shield is going to save him. Like he's not running to his death. There's no implication of that. Um, so the line makes no sense, especially as his last big line before killing the bad guy. So that was bad writing. Kelly Wan, you've got two points so far. Yeah. All right. So Kelly Wan, you could. This could be I'm a complete, nervous. This could be a complete shutout. Um, Nobody. Zero to sixty, and I'm about to find the fuck out. Ugh, that's not worth hearing twice. Uh, that was terrible writing. I didn't like it the first time. I didn't like it. Well, so specifically the second time when he says, um, when he's quoting the the, the well, he's the quoting neighbor. the douchebags. So right, right, exactly. So and to me, said, that's bad writing. Like you're implying the douchebag is a better writer than you. <laughs> like that the douchebag said things that bear repeating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It's bad writing. And plus, it doesn't – It like, if they wanted to – like, I feel like Bob Odenkirk's character would know how long it takes a 72 ch uh, Challenger to go from zero to right. 60 miles an hour. Like, like the better line would have been – He's also that to himself. So if he's a badass, you don't say little one-liners to yourself. I mean, James Bond kind of gets away because he's always talking to somebody else when he does it. 
Right, right. But but why would you say that too before then punching it? And because the whole point of the asshole neighbor saying zero to sixty, I'm about to find the fuck out, is him saying, you know, watch me peel out, like watch me go right. really fast, like it's he's showing off. It's supposed to be an applause line. Yeah, it's an applause line. It's a lookout. It's a, it's Wee! I'm aggrandizing how badass I am. Watch me get in this, this it's sweet uh... ride. And, yeah. So it's a stupid line to quote later on. Um, so Kelly Wand, you are three for three on this episode's good wow. writing, bad writing. That's Very my first good. It's a, it's your record. This, this yeah. is almost as historically exciting as Prince Philip writing an office. <laughs> uh, were there parts of the script that you thought were really good? I saw this. I saw this movie before we did our Oscars podcast, so I have to really think back forever. Um, How about that bus fight? Just so, I like that, that whole that whole bus sequence. How did you I love it when that? I love it when uh, heroes come back after they get thrown out of a window and then they just come back in again. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. That that I was great. That. Yeah, I always enjoy it. I never get tired of it. I would have actually kept going with that. So here here's my problem with the bus scene because the bus scene is great. Uh, yeah. It's really good fight choreography. I love so much seeing Daniel Bernhardt on screen. Like that guy, he's the guy who gets his teeth messed up. Tracheotomy. He, uh, no, he's not the one that gets tracheotomy. No, I know. He, I'm just saying. Right, right, right. Things about the bus scene that are. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The tracheotomy and just also the bus scene establishes um, he's not superhuman. Yeah. Like he he's he more he can get his ass kicked he can get hurt exactly um, and he but, doesn't have a weapon of choice he'll rip off like a bar or something and if somebody escalates the fight if because when somebody goes for the gun that's when he gets the knife out and he uses it on all of them like he knows where he knows like what the rules are in a fight and he knows when those rules are broken that the gloves so to speak are off and he can now use deadly force like I and feel he's like enjoying that was part himself of it. that's exactly the thing Kelly Wan is here is. I think what this movie is struggling with is Kinda, a, a, is a script about a guy who really wants to resort to violence, yeah. who gets pleasure and joy from that, right. but has had to tamp down on that element of himself to be a family man, it's to live to a peaceful, stable life. Exactly. Yeah. So when he gets on the bus, and there's several times, you know, he when he flashes the money in the tattoo parlor, and he says, you know, there's three kinds of people who I think it flash cheese. Um, boy, talk about bad writing. There are three kinds of people yeah. who flash cheese, uh, people who don't know any better, people who are trying to intimidate someone, and people who just pray and hope that someone will try to take it from them so he can kick their asses. Like that was the, that was the uh, gist of the line he had there. So there's this idea that he really does glory in this violence, and he wants to participate in it, and it makes him feel alive, and he loves it. Yeah. But – Here's a here's a stupid thing that the script does. The script then, simply because I think it might make him too much of an anti-hero, it makes them harass the girl on the bus. Right. So that he can also be rescuing a damsel in distress. He has to do it. Yeah, he has to do it. He's it's not a choice. Right. He's driven. And to I feel a like the movie he really wanted to make anyway. And it would have been – right. It would have made so yeah. that point much more if the girl hadn't even been there, if he yeah. just wanted to kick these loudmouths' asses. We already know because they're jerks. They wrecked their car. They're being loud. They're drunk. We know they deserve to have their asses kicked. They don't also have to be potential rapists just so that we don't feel bad about cheering on a guy who glories in violence. Like but, It just felt like such a weak uh, selling point. But what? Yes. But – I would say in defense of it, it's it's she's part of the inevitability 
uh, trope. Like she's like he. It's the opposite. It's not a choice, but it's right. like he can't escape what he is. Exactly. And going out to get a kitty bracelet is the second those like the second the Russians crash into the thing next to the bus. Right. He already has the look on his face and they haven't started harassing her yet. But he's already well, she's he, already yeah, part of the that is true. situation. And he does. He does desperately want them to get on the bus, because if right. you remember, there's a line where he said every time God closes, it said every time God closes one door, he opens another door. Please, yeah. God, please open this door because he wants them to get on the bus. Yeah. yeah. So that's a fair point. But I would that. say here's where I agree with you is in a way it's racist because what would have been what would have served that both better i think is if they'd harassed the bus driver cuz she's a woman and it's like oh no it's a white woman oh i see what you're saying right right well so you they know, could have tried to harass the bus driver i I, w- I would have liked that but it's also like i mean it's just kind of really icky like it's only the pretty young woman who he has to yeah. stand up for because she can't defend herself yeah uh you know the bus driver she looked like she wouldn't take any guff Maybe. I don't know. But uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Well, that's um, a casting decision. It's also kind of weird is why is – She takes his guff. Why is the brother of a notorious Russian mobster like just hanging out with these other four guys? Yeah. I, I mean who knows? I guess they're all buddies or, or whatever. Well, they're douchebags. Um, the right, right. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing is like he – it's – I think um, it's kind of like uh, – what's the Charlize Theron movie? Atomic Blonde. Atomic Blonde, where it's one-sided. It's more one-sided fights, and the villains are, aren't actually really that threatening. Like how you said, everyone Charlie Thron's attacks in Atomic Blonde is surprised that she's their enemy. Right, right, right. What? Yeah. Wait, stop. We're on the same <laughs> side. Like, that's not the case here, but the idea isn't to make the villains terrifying. It's for him to mow through them. But here's okay, so here's my main problem. With that There's bus no fight, suspense though. or tension, right? Well, but that that's the thing. The bus fight does set up that he does get his ass kicked. He does get winded. Right. It does take it out of him to fight five guys hand to hand on a bus. Yeah. However, later on, when six presumably trained Russian, uh, yeah, mafios, but now he's got his wind back. But no, no, but he has no problem taking out these six armed guys uh, in his house when he doesn't have a firearm. He has no problem, I guess, although he does get help. He's not anticipating a problem. He gets help from his, his brother and his father. But he thinks he's going to – he has no problem holding out in this warehouse against, I guess, 20 Russian armed uh, foot soldiers for the Russian mafia. Like yeah. all – everything that's established in the bus, that he is mortal, he can get his ass kicked – completely goes by the wayside for the rest of the movie sure like i feel like the bus introduced some rules and then forgot about them yeah and the whole movie's like that yeah the families this like everything's really half-baked and even even that final dilemma about oh no the the main villain he's still got a, a an automatic rifle and all of their guns are empty oh uh, what what's going to happen they're all doomed i guess they're screwed that's the yeah reason. When the whole, you know, when he had six people with automatic rifles barging into his house, he had no problem there. But now this one middle-aged guy who'd rather be a singer and dancer who happens to have an automatic rifle, oh, he, they're doomed now. Christopher Lloyd yeah. has no more rounds. Rizzo well, and the guy's not himself. shooting him while they worry about it. Yeah, yeah, he should yeah. just be walking right up to him and just <laughs> like, yeah. oh, they're obviously dry. 
So Kelly Wan, how is it then that this 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 kind of sloppy filmmaking came from the guy who gave us Hardcore Henry? Because none of that Hardcore Henry is just so stylized and slapstick and playful and consistent with its own overblown, over the top violence and, and internal consistency. Like maybe it was a rush job. I mean, maybe or yeah, and and it's also. Um, you know, he didn't, this isn't a script that he wrote. He's still shackled to the script, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing, you can only do so much. Maybe he got a lot of notes back on it. Um, I do wonder, yeah, like how, how studio-y was this? Was it, and also, I wonder how risky was it getting Bob Odenkirk for this? I would think not at all, because I, I would think he'd want to do it. Oh, no, no, well, I mean, I mean, like, uh, making the, like, rather than putting an action hero in here. Oh, uh, and I don't know. Like, I like if I were the studio, I might think, eh, nobody wants to see Bob Odenkirk as an action hero. Uh, let's get um, let's get that guy from Universal Soldier: Day of Reckoning. <laughs> let's, let's get I think him. Bob Odenkirk probably knows a lot of the Hollywood people who blew him off back in the Mr. Show days, because now they're huge fans of Breaking Bad and and Better Call Saul, and he just sees them at things. I, I also like to think too that he's all, hey, big, I do a fucking action movie. Let's do it. Well, and I like to oh, think really he's a big would. selling point for it as well because he's definitely featured yeah. prominently. Like the the poster for it, it's just a big old shot of his face. Yeah, um, he's a famous man. Better call Saul's put him on the map. Yeah, I think he's. I, he I think he's done, I think he's done very well for himself, and he's got a career ahead of him probably. Yeah, as an action hero. <laughs> I, I think it's an actor. I think this guy's going to make it in show business. I hope he sticks to it. I saw him at uh, Next Stop Wonderland. He was hanging out with his wife. It's, Wait, you mean you went to see the movie and he was there with his his wife? Yeah, just chilling out. When, this would have been, next stop Wonderland, that old Brad Anderson movie. Yeah. Wow, that that's, that's the last time I when. saw Odenkirk. Oh, so that would have been when he was just the guy from Mr. Show. Yeah. Right. So whenever right. that movie came out was my last encounter. Now I have to say I don't think I was a Bob Odenkirk fan until and even in you didn't like Mr. Show? Are you crazy? I don't think I got Mr. Show. What? I mean I don't. I, I mean, I do now. Like, I go back and I watch the now clips now. Weed. Well, well, and now it's now that I have um, an appreciation for David Cross and Bob Odenkirk. I mean, I like those. I find both of those guys immensely entertaining, thanks to things like Arrested Development and the Post. Uh, and <laughs> the Post, right? Uh, and there after Run, Running, Run. Because I don't know if you know this about me too. Is I'm not a fan of his character in Breaking Bad is I always felt like he was kind of a clown imported from another show dropped into Breaking Bad. I didn't feel like he was a good fit. Yeah, but Breaking Bad had a lot of clowns and he was his Right, right, right. That is true. Fair enough. Yeah, like the the meth addict, the badger and Fox, right? Yeah, yeah, right. That is true. There were clowns. Um but he was just a weird that's the thing though is the the druggy clowns made more sense to me than the slimy lawyer clown. But that said, Kelly Wand, uh, I'm 100% on board with what Vince Gilligan is doing with that character in Better Call Saul. Um, so yeah. I've just got so much goodwill for Bob Odenkirk from that and for David Cross from Arrested Development and other things I've seen him in since that I can't help but go back and watch Mr. Show clips and think, yeah. this stuff is great. You know, Why did I not appreciate this before? Because you weren't high. And yet. Is Mr. Show like stoner humor, though? Uh I don't. I don't really know how to answer that question. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you for asking. I don't know where to begin. Did you watch the Drugs of Chusets skit? Did you watch Everest? Uh, I've skit? only. 
no, like I've not seen a lot of Mr. Show. I've watched the Ask Mike one. You're not watching it right. You never yeah, I'm correctly. definitely not watching it right. Yeah, you know, uh, get your weed back out, like I showed you. Use the correct <laughs> proportions. <laughs> Watched sketch comedy from 1996. How did you feel about Michael Ironside's character? Oh, I forgot he was in it. Right? He was wasted. He really was. They didn't do anything fun with him, which is a bit and sad. And that – come on. It's Michael Ironside. Like, you got him. You, I don't know. Yeah. He doesn't shoot anybody or get shot. He's clearly – like, I, can I can – I, I would have rather that he swapped roles with Christopher Lloyd. That's too obvious. You want Christopher Lloyd to shoot a shotgun for once. He never gets to shoot a shotgun. I just feel like he's not good at it. What? He's not good He's at fine. it. fine. He shot two. We had two shotguns. Yeah, he, he had a bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. He came in well, with it. If, you get, if you're Christopher Lloyd, though, what else are you going to use? What other gun? Are you going to use a fucking Garand? Sure. An say? assault rifle, yeah. That's the thing, too, about you don't you don't bring in a shotgun to an assault rifle fight, by the way. Yeah, you didn't like his little smile when Odenkirk calls it. Is he going to be coming? Might want to keep your gun. No, no. I, 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 do enjoy, I do enjoy it. I just Christopher Lloyd throw trash at me once, by That's the way. That's his the father. Really? Yeah. Oh wait. Okay. Dish. It was uh, so he was doing. Um, speaking of the father, uh, that's the name of. Is that the name of an of a Strindberg play? No, wait. He, no, Bertolt Brecht. There's a play called The Father. Yeah. That uh, at the National Repertory Theater. Uh, well, at any rate, I was I was just doing I was doing a play when I was in graduate school where Christopher Lloyd was the lead actor in a, a production on the main stage and I was doing something on a side stage and I remember walking into the, the bathroom of the theater during a rehearsal right as Christopher Lloyd was was like basketball a shooting a wadded oh. up paper towel that he dried his hands with and into well he, I don't remember if he but he was like throwing it into the garbage bin right yeah. next to the door where I walked in. So I walk in and basically there's trash flung in my direction from Christopher Lloyd. Oh, I was deeply I honored at that. By the way, yeah. he didn't hit me. No, he didn't hit me. But I, it was. See, he's of... athletic. He'd use a shot. <laughs> His reflexes are aces. Yeah, if he can shoot hoops like that, I'm sure he can deal with a right. with, a, with a shotgun. Yeah, he's. It's like he's a cocoon person. I feel like I need to bring up cocoon every podcast from now on. How did you feel about the um? Russian hacker chick. Do you remember her at the all? The one who quits? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I liked her exit. She's there just long enough to yeah. establish he's got a hacker chick, and once she finds out who he is, I, I did like this like way yeah. of of uh, sort of fleshing out his past, is once she hacks into his past and finds out who she is, she wants no part of it. She's out yeah. of there. That, that was cute. That was yeah. great. And that was also... A little rare touch of, I think, playfulness and humor that yeah. I wish more of the movie had had that was yeah. all over the place in Hardcore Henry. Yeah. Um, is just that her yeah. throwing the papers in there saying, here's what I found out. Good luck. I'm out of here. Yeah. There should be a crossover movie. Here's another thing, Kelly Wand. <laughs> How did you – so he gets he gets, he gets uh, tased or uh, and then um, uh, 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 thrown in the trunk. It's – yeah, dislocates his thumb, gets out of the handcuffs, uh, finds the Dude. fire extinguisher. Yeah. Okay, this is something that drives – I hate this in movies. This is so stupid. Oh. Um, I'm listening. He, 
he i've never heard you like this before i i I apologize for my uh my vehemence about this but prince philip is rolling in his grave right now when you when you enter when you interfere with the driver of a car and the driver of the car, rather than just hitting the brakes and stopping yeah, to deal with whatever you're doing, yeah. it crashes the car because the I driver's going that super. Trope. I think it's hysterical every time. Oh, it is so because it's only in movies. And my other thing, um, the other trope I like is uh, like that uh, Jimmy Fallon movie Taxi is when there's like a huge car pileup, and then you see like there's like a last car that right. like speeds and just like goes on top of the dog pile. That like I'm that okay guy with. Didn't see what was right, right. ahead of him. Love it. Right, because those are obviously right. That I'm okay with because they're obviously like nods to, hey, we're gonna have this many cars we can wreck, and we're gonna have stuntmen wreck them. This is how little we care about your suspension disbelief. Right, right. We're gonna have one more stuntman jam one more car yeah. into the back of this. I mean, it just reminds me of like how neat movies in the '70s yeah. and stuff. Like, That's I love insane. that in in the finale of American Werewolf in London. It's just all these cars are wrecking, and here comes one more. Versus and there's one more that's going to hit that one, and one more is going to hit that one. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's it's the very thing, Blues Brothers. They didn't – it's like, oh, look, British traffic's not right. ready for werewolves. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You're yeah. like, wow. Um, Although it does take him down. They're like the planes. Cars are like planes for American werewolves in London. Wait, what takes him down? What takes know, you it, down? I just remember he dies during all that. No, the, no, no. He the, the wolf dodges all the traffic, which is part of what's great about. It. I mean, it destroys no, people. Comes off. No, no. There's some really gruesome stuff in that in that Piccadilly Circus car wreck. Um, but the wolf but that's ends his up. Last stand. No, but right. But the wolf gets away from that. He ends up getting shot by the cops. Um, yeah. yeah. The the none of the cars hit the wolf. He he's good at dodging traffic. You can right. say that about werewolves. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, Kelly Wan. Not many people know this. Um, Griffin Dunn's character was just all in David Naughton's head. He wasn't okay. literally a ghost in all that right, movie. He was a figment of David Naughton's imagination. I, That's a true fact, yeah. No, yeah. You said yeah. that. Everyone who's seen the movie said that. <laughs> The dingus say that or something? No, that's you and I. That's our ongoing argument about American Werewolf in London. Oh yeah. I is remember. you think that Griffin Dunn is is really physically a ghost and is present? Wait, in the movie. I've won this argument. The listeners came down hard. No, you have not won. You have, as a matter of fact, you. I'm the one who has presented textual proof for my side of the argument. Uh, you have not. Uh, yeah. What can, was your can, textual proof against? Uh, that when he, uh, when Griffin Dunn's character, he appears in daylight in Piccadilly Circus to beckon yeah. David Naughton into the the X-rated movie theater, and nobody reacts to him. He's, he's a sitting ghost. there in full zombie makeup. That's your oh, dude. Yeah, oh, so he's a ghost nice. and not a and not a zombie. So wait, why right. does a ghost rot again? He's a ghost zombie. He's something new. So he's so a ghost who rots. I see. That's what happens if a werewolf bites you. No, only if you're American. Nope. You have no. Nope. Sorry. Not accepted. All right. it's, it's a it's, new thing. Kelly Wan. Everybody knows that he's a figment of David Naughton's imagination. Well, then why fact, is he giving him actual? Advice? I have John Landis right here. Hold on one Wait, second. Wait. There was a scene too where he. Hey, this is Kelly Wan. Kelly Wan. This is John Landis. I'm here to oh, tell I, you I'm that really. Max's father. <laughs> Kelly Wan. I'm here to tell you I'm so ashamed of my son. Uh-huh. I am, but I did like what he did with Shadow in the Cloud. 
That was a very good script that he wrote. I really liked your Animal House, and I also really Thank you, Kelly Wand. Vic Morrow, I think. Uh, oh, well, Kelly Wand had nothing to do with that. I was, I, was, I was cleared of all wrongdoing on that, Kelly Wand. That's true. Speed oh, I'm letting Tom back on. Wow, all right. That, Thanks, John. Thanks, I John. I thought he was British. <laughs> hey, man. I think, yeah, he you know, it's just, qualified to direct that. It's just his background in show business that makes him sound vaguely British. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Animal House will make anyone British if you direct <laughs> Super British. Uh, can I tell you about another? Th- uh, I watched another movie that I hated, but that I liked some of the action set pieces, and I liked the lead actor. So in that regard, in that regard, it reminded me of Nobody. Uh, yeah. Did you see the Michael B. Jordan Without Remorse? That was the Tom Clancy told me movie. Told not to see it. So it's I bail, so huh? bad. It is so bad. Uh, and I don't and- like Tom Clancy stuff and it is so yeah i mean it's very generic which is perfectly which is exactly like, anything no with anything with tom clancy's name stamped on it is, is going to be pretty generic i think yeah and then and the I character stuff is terrible I a lot of ludlum so for me to not like tom clancy that's how lame tom clancy is you yeah uh, so there's yeah there's but but there are good action set pieces in without remorse though uh it's the kind of stuff that get you know when you've got michael b jordan as your lead it's going to have a, a big budget um, so there's some well-done action sequences, but... Yeah, no Coogler? Come on. Coogler? Well, he's to the Scorsese to Michael Jordan's De Niro. Aren't they... Don't they come as a set? Wait, who Who should he... Who? who? Coogler. The director. Oh, I see. It's a, it's a director for Michael B. Jordan. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right, right. I didn't I didn't know who you were talking about. Um, yeah, no Coogler. name. I can see where you got confused. <laughs> so um, many... Uh, but I will say, though, here's the thing that happens early on in Without Remorse where oh. you know you're going to be watching a dumb movie. I don't like that title even. Um, like, I assume it's yeah. a Clancy movie. I'm assuming there's not going to be any remorse. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, well, he's, it's, a, it's also it, – I think for Tom Clancy, it's supposed to be like a revenge thriller, like more – less of a like techno thriller. I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, it's personal. Like Exactly, it's personal. But so here's the deal. Early on, when we meet Michael B. Jordan's character, uh, he's a, he's a special operative soldier. Um, I forget if he's supposed to be Delta Force or whatever. But he comes back from a mission, and he's at home with his pregnant wife, and they're having like a party, a barbecue with all the neighbors over. And so that we see how smart he is, and this also sets up. Um, some chess terminology later. There's a there's much to do made of the fact that a pawn can't take a king. Like that's something that gets said a couple of times in the movie. Um, wow. So while he is uh, tending to his wife to make sure that she's comfortable and to all of his guests, somewhere in this party, and this tells you what kind of party it is, in the foreground there are two people playing chess. And they make a couple of moves while in the background – prominently featured in the frame, Michael B. Jordan is tending to his wife. And uh, without taking his attention away from his wife, yeah. he reaches down and he makes a move for the dude who's playing chess against a girl, supposedly showing us that this character is so, so attentive and alert and smart that out of the corner of his eye, he sees the perfect move for that guy to make. But – and, and this is how how much I knew the movie was stupid at this point. I rewinded it because I wanted to see what move he was making. Right. If it was an actual chess move. Yeah. Not only did it not was it not I, I think a real move. He makes the move after the guy for whom he makes the move 
had just moved a piece. Oh, so he's cheating. He's cheating. He uh, makes the guy take two moves in a row. Well, and, then he's a good spy if he's trying to get that guy to win. Maybe but here's the funny thing. is the, the, These two people playing chess, they don't have any lines. They're just extras. They also so, don't notice him do it. No, they don't react because they're just extras. Like, they don't know. These aren't people. They're just paid to sit there, and they don't have lines. They can't say anything. The director obviously doesn't want them to react to this. It's just Michael B. Jordan, and that, uh, I don't know if it was just on this take, but he wasn't paying enough attention to See. know that the guy had just made a move. You don't watch Queen's Gambit to compare. Okay, well, now I will, as long as there's not this kind of dumbness in Queen. No. In Queen's Gambit, she... is anybody ever allowed to make two moves in a row? Nope. She had then to I will memorize watch the moves. For the production. Okay, then I... Oh, is that true? Yep. Whoa, they actually... I, okay, I'm intrigued. And she has a certain way of moving her pieces. Because I always do wonder this in movies where there's chess, Kelly Wan. Is someone yeah. making an actual... Did yeah. someone in the production uh, side of, of the project actual, actually set certain. up the board for yeah. actual moves? Yeah. Or is it just random stuff? Okay. No. Queen's game. Gambit, though, because of the name of it, I would expect more attention paid to the chess, though. So, yeah. Yeah, but right. she's she's acting like a chess player. Okay. So, it's weird. You Kelly Wand, you're weird. How do you feel about the car chase in Nobody? Uh, that's the weakest sequence for me. Um, it's a nice car, though. It's a nice car. It's a little hard to follow spatially. Yeah, yeah. there's not a lot. Well. The the only real choreography is the whole deal of him playing with the seat so he can lean back while he pulls, right. drives the car. Like that stuff was kind of cool, but a lot hinges was, on them being really dumb. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. Like a Hal Needham movie, yeah. as opposed to him being really smart and pulling off something clever. Like he's really using the same tools they have that somehow they've forgotten how to use. He's also. How do you feel about the but fact the that the bus they, is like the only wrinkle? Like, oh no, there's a bus. I right. Yeah. Think things, but he really doesn't have to rethink anything. And I do like, though, even though I don't like – I never was into Pat Benatar. Like, I do like if you're going to appeal to guys our age with a lead actor like Bob Odenkirk and a 72 Challenger, uh, you know, play a Pat Benatar song during the chase scene. I'm okay with that. That works for me. I like that song, but I don't know if it applies to the situation. It doesn't at all. A, I don't like that song. Hearts. Yeah, exactly. Why would you like that song? It's a dumb song. And B, oh, it has love. nothing to do with the scene. Except, right. hey, we're all middle-aged white guys who loved this song probably when we were dumb kids. I think it's the iconic Pat Benatar song, isn't it? Um, what if I were to tell you I that I love? What if I were to tell you that I love rock and roll is the more iconic Pat Benatar song? Oh, that's a Pat Benatar song. I thought it was Joan Jett. Very good. I tried to trick you, and you didn't fall for it. Kelly Wand, you know your music from when we were dumb kids. Well done. All right, go go me. Uh, I was never into the Go-Go's. Sorry. Is there anything good you like? <laughs> Didn't like Nosferatu, which you made me watch? The, the, no, uh, but Dracula was great on Netflix. The Dracula one on, yeah, the Stephen Moffat. Um, oh, shoot. What was the guy from The Father? What was his name? Grandma. No, no. Who played Paul? Who I told you, he's the guy who wrote Doctor, who wrote, um, with the Doctor Who writer, the... Dracula and the Sherlock Holmes. Mark Gaddis. Mark Gaddis is his name. Oh. Yeah. So he's Wait. the guy who wrote that Dracula with Stephen Moffat, the Doctor Who guy. Oh. Oh, he's a, multi, he's a double threat. He is a double threat, and if he could sing, he'd be he's a double a threat. He's having a good year. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. All right, well, Kelly Wand, we've done a Nobody podcast. Um, Hooray for us. Yeah. What are you going to watch next? Do you know? 
Do you have anything queued uh, up you're excited about? Called in the Earth. Uh, in the Earth is Ben Wheatley's new movie. You did mention maybe we should do the podcast on that. Yeah. Uh, I would certainly be amenable to that. So yeah. Do we want to? Do we want to nail? Do we want to go ahead and cement that into the like, pin that into the calendar or use a pencil? What do you think? Let's tack it to the cork board. All right, it's on there. And then we'll put it. We'll uh, make the guy put up the marquee letters. Let's say in the Earth Quarter to Three movie podcast on the uh, theater that's what? now going out of business. What did I watch? Or do you remember the marquee sequence from Snow Ho- uh, Wolf of Snow Hollow? Uh, I do. I remember it from Elvira, because she gets he drops a letter on her head, and he goes, "Oh, how's your head?" And she goes, "I've never had any complaints." Okay, tell me yours. <laughs> I got that joke. Yeah, that was very Elvira. That was I good. I like that. It's just, no, it's just a brief scene where uh, Ricky Lindholm has to uh, convince someone not to post something salacious on the marquee about the werewolf murders. Uh, she yeah, what happens? Uh, he relents because she know. threatens to uh, – actually, it's an abuse. I feel like my story was more crowd-pleasing. You just are like, hey, remember that cool thing I watched? Well, you just made me think of uh, Marquis. Uh, oh. I, was just, I was thinking, what's the what's the movie I saw recently where somebody changes a marquee? And it was Wolf of Snow Hollow. Yeah. But you're right. Your, your Elvira one is way better. You win this podcast's uh, marquee scene. Notice the traffic rules in the Wolf of Snow Hollow. What are the traffic rules in Wolf of I don't Hall? know. I was just hoping you'd oh. make some connection for me. Well, I did. You, you, I don't know if I've told this to you, but you know there are only three good werewolf movies in all of existence until last year when a fourth one was added, and that was Wolf of Snow Hollow. That's finally, at last, a fourth good werewolf movie. Wait, so the other three are American Werewolf. Correct. Uh, the Howling? Nope. The Howling is terrible. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's yeah, it's like early. I think it's early. You know what sucks about the Howling? It's like it's not well lit. Like the transformations in the dark, kind of compared to American yeah. Werewolf. American Werewolf, you get a it's a, it's a perfect transformation. And yeah. I remember reviewers at the time were going, "Oh, it's not as good as the Howling." I was like, "You're idiots! I'm ten years old, and you're stupid old people." I mean, that way, like Rick Baker's effects in American Werewolf definitely demanded good lighting. They didn't have to hide right. in bad lighting, right? Yeah. yeah. That was part of what was remarkable. Wait, what the is the same with the do? thing? Uh, yeah. So the other two are – I really do like the way that the werewolf mythology is used as a metaphor for uh, women going through puberty and ginger snaps. I like ginger oh, yeah, snaps. And I think there are like three or four sequels, which are terrible. Um, yeah. But you would never know this, but the the fourth uh, good werewolf movie is a pretty obscure Danish art house horror movie called When Animals Dream. Um oh, no. Which I really I like. I like that a lot. It is a very deep pull, and that just gets yeah. that has more to do with just how dopey werewolf movies tend to be. Like they're just did aren't you read good Wolf Sour? I did not. What is it? Should I? Yeah, it's what by it? Robert McCammon. You remember he was like a grocery store horror writer of the eighties. Okay. And uh, he, it's a werewolf, and he's a spy in World War Two. So uh, there's a. Um, there's this train. Never mind. I'll I do. You no, know, no, no. I like historical horror, though, like that. It's just really good. It's just super. Like, everything about it's good. Every sequence is fucking dope, yo. He's like a cool character. All right, I mean, right just say, everything what is pays it? off. Did you say The Wolf Hour? The Wolf's Hour. There's a movie called The Wolf's Hour. Do you know about that? That's not it, though. It's not based on that. 
There's, There's a movie World called War No, the movie called The Wolf's Hour is Naomi Watts is a she's agoraphobic. She doesn't want to go outside. She's in her New York apartment. I think it's even a period piece when there was a I don't know when there was some big blackout in New York, but they had they, they were New York was oh, blacked yeah. out. Um, so she's a shut-in who doesn't want to leave the apartment, but there's been a blackout. Um, Wait, so I was thinking of watching this. Should I? Um, no, no, not really. I knew if it was good, you would have told me to watch it. Yeah, no, but there, what is good about it is uh, Jennifer L. plays her sister, um, and there's a scene where Jennifer L. comes to visit her, and I, I did love this exchange, uh, and says, look, you're here alone. It can be dangerous. You should have a gun, a handgun. I uh-huh. brought you one. Let me give you this. Just keep it in the apartment to keep you safe. And Naomi Watts is all like, no, I don't want a gun here. I don't want it around. Take it. Or don't leave it here. And Jennifer L. says, look, here it is. It's a thirty-eight. And Naomi Watts says, I don't care what number it is, Take it which is just so cute. It was just so yeah, adorable. That's Her. pretty cute. Yeah. Uh, and so that's the best part of uh, Wolf Hour. I mean, it does kind of have – there's some cool stuff in it, and that the the plumber from uh, Brooklyn is in it. Emery Cohen, I like that guy a lot. The uh, plum, right? <laughs> uh, so, but no, I can't recommend it. You like that guy? Uh, I do because of a movie he was in uh, with Ty Sheridan called Oh shoot, what was that called? Detour, I think. Um, so I, I do like that guy just because I've seen him in a bunch of different things. He's uh, a plum. And he doesn't always play like a slow guy like that. Um, so he's really cool in a movie called Detour with Ty Sheridan, which is a Christopher Smith horror. Eh, it's not really a horror. It's kind of a, well, it's almost like an alternate reality uh, movie. You know what? Detour is better than Shifter. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? A lot of things are. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I do like the father is. The, the father is. The father is. Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah, it's not controversial. They to should say put something. that on the poster. Tell me one movie that the shifter that shifter is better than. Um, the Salem's Lot with Rob Lowe. There's a Salem's Lot with Rob Lowe. Yep, that's what it says <laughs> on the poster for that. <laughs> wow, it's my least right. favorite Salem's Lot. Is it a movie or some another TV movie? Also, Psycho Three is worse than Shifter. Uh, Psycho Three. I'm not even sure I knew that there was a Psycho Three. All right. Two's got a no. Three's got the nun. Two's got the big chill girl. Is Anthony Perkins in all of them? Yeah. Wow. Good for him. All right. They keep Brett Connick though. Is, is have other He's Alfred like, Hitchcock movies uh, been made into franchises? Uh, or even had uh, sequels? I'm guessing not. No, but they should do another family plot. I think. I don't know what family plot is. That was too deep of a pull. I don't. God. I don't know my Hitchcock. Really? I would. I would be down with a, a bird. I sequel. think Vertigo too. There's a lot of places where that story could go. They should Ver- keep going with the Vertigo storyline. The birds was just getting started by the time it ended. Like, don't you That's want to know true. if they made it? No, I assume the birds won because she's nuts. No, I don't. I don't mean they. The uh, the 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 birds made it. If the the people, because doesn't it end with them having to sneak out of the house and and. They just head out into the terrain, and there's birds everywhere, and, and then yeah. it's the end. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah we I don't, don't think they the, made it. Yeah, I guess you're right. They probably didn't. I think it's a missed ending. Well, you know, birds is actually – didn't didn't the birds predate Night of the Living Dead? Yes. Yeah. So birds is, I think, the first zombie movie, but They're we not hadn't invented birds. zombies yet, so it had birds. Yeah. Ta- is the bird Was the birds ever scary to you as a kid? 
I didn't see it as a kid. I think it's brilliant as an adult, but I never saw it as a kid. I saw Why, it as a you, kid. Right? And, I and you went, thought it was dumb. Uh, yeah. But then I saw it in college and went, oh, that's cool how there's no sound for that one part. <laughs> I once as a kid – Classic Long Beach State moments. <laughs> Uh, there was what? a there was a wild parrot when we lived up in Big Sur, I'm I like and where this is going. the parrot would actually. I mean, this happens a fair amount where you have parrots like flying around because owners let them go because parrots live like you know 80 years. So uh, who's going to keep a pet for 80 years? Right. So I remember in Big Sur a parrot landing on like my shoulder, and it was a fairly tame, domesticated, friendly parrot. But mm-hmm. me getting freaked out when I thought it had pecked me on the head. Uh, and so I was scared of the parrot. So if I had seen the bird as a child, it probably would have terrified me. I was freaked out by the bird in Excalibur who eats the guy's eye. Right, exactly. Yeah. Birds eat eyes. And I would yeah. always think that could ha- – like how do they know I'm dead? Like why wouldn't they – why wouldn't a bird just swoop down and try to pluck out my eye? So I was excited when I got glasses. Oh, bird protection. Years. Yeah. Yeah, I got armor now. So yeah. fuck you, Very birds. Good. Yeah. <laughs> try and get through this titanium steel – Plastic. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm I know for, what things are. I'm half sitting now for someone who has birds, and huh. there's a, a parrot who is more high maintenance than the other birds. And you take the parrot outside to a cage outdoors just to give it. It's almost like walking a dog to just let the parrot hang out in the cage outside. But to do it, you have to put a stick in the bird's cage. The bird knows he's going outside, so he's happy to get on the stick. But then you're holding a stick with a parrot on the end of it, and you walk to the outdoor cage. You put the parrot on the stick in the cage, and the parrot hops off. But in transit today – I've done this several times, and it's okay. But in transit today, the stupid bird hopped off of the stick onto of my hand and uh. freaked me out. Like I didn't, I didn't freak out like, yeah, get off of me. But I definitely had to finesse – Bringing the stick around and getting the bird off. Like, I didn't want bird talons on my hand. It was freaking yeah. me out. It's weird. Yeah. Well, and it's beak. It's freaky. Well, and this well, bird... Well, also, it's just done something unpredictable, so what's the next thing it's going to do? Right, exactly. Next step is it, it goes from my eye, just like right. you said, because I've this seen Excalibur. This is how destination. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly, so... There's no animals in those movies. It's weird. Uh, you would think that the universe the would get the animals universe. to help set into motion yeah. like, people's death. The visitor and the omen kid used crows to kill people. And and the baboons in the zoo freak yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. So and dogs and dogs, right, right, killer dogs. The yeah. final destination: death doesn't use animals, just machines. I mean, but that's part of it. <laughs> he just, possesses honest, machines. I mean, that that is part of I think what makes the final destination movies though is it's all inanimate objects. Right. Like there's this idea that the universe will marshal the power of inanimate objects to kill you. It doesn't need animals. Yeah. And our own stupidity. Do you know there's a new uh, shark movie with Katrina Bowden called Great White, speaking of animals to kill you? Yeah. What's the the downside? No, there isn't one. I'm just telling you. Look out. uh, Shudder just picked up the rights for a Katrina Bowden movie, and it's called Great White. Is it already out? No, no. no, I think uh, they'll release it this summer. I just saw they picked up the rights for it. Okay. What a tease. In the meantime, Kelly Wan just Is there re-watched... a follow-up to the Piranha movie that she's in? Uh, there she was, actually. No, no, yeah, Piranha... Piranha DD with uh, Daniel Panabaker. Right, right, well, that's what I'm saying, is there was a, a sequel to Piranha, but I don't know about... Uh, the Shallows, you could go back and rewatch that, because I know so you love... To get her to swim the bikini. 
You love Blake Lively. Uh, I like that ending. Or I hate that ending. I forget. Yeah, no, you hate that ending. It's from Roadrunner. I hate Runner. that ending. <laughs> it's, the, it's the ending or a Roadrunner cartoon. What are you talking about? It should have been like Dread, where time slows for the... Uh, remember when, what a dick he was to Mama? I can't believe that was so out of remember character. What a dick for he Dredd. was to that murdering crazy bitch who <laughs> just killed everybody and <laughs> killed his partner and everyone. But no, it's, it's it's Lena Headey from Aberdeen. Cersei was a bitch too. <laughs> well, now that just plays into your point. I'd rather say that it's Lena Headey from Aberdeen. Oh, she's great. Or uh, Sarah Connor. Was Lena Headey an unbearable lightness of being, or am I just confusing her with Lena Olin? I don't see movies that consider being to be not weighty. No, you don't, do you? We All right, well, Kelly Wand, like let's, let's uh, queue up In the Earth, Ben Wheatley's next movie for the next ah. podcast. Uh, Gotta love those adverb last names. And I will, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I will um, definitely Chipley. podcast that with you. So if you're listening, watch In the Earth uh, and then maybe listen to us talk about it on our next episode. I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Kelly Wand, and we will see you in three weeks. Oh, yeah. On Mother's Day, my mom said she didn't think Paris Hilton has had any work done. Not even a nose job? And she goes, that's different. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right? And we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. This podcast blew.